everyone, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. Feels like it's been a minute since I've spoken to you because I recorded some of those previous episodes in advance because Tom Richfield, our editor, was on vacation and I did not want to burden him with a bunch of stuff to work on during his vacation. In any event, the guest this week, Alex Henry, the guitarist from on hiatus band called Basement. They're from the UK, and he now spends his time working for Run For Cover Records. So more on him in a minute, but let's talk about PropertyOfZach.com. I've told you once, I've told you twice, I've told you uh, 30, 40 times maybe. Visit the site. If you're not doing that, you're missing a key component to uh, the independent music culture and landscape. So check it out. You will become educated and know about all the latest and greatest in tours, reviews, music, blah, blah, blah. Visit there. You'll enjoy it. So I got to meet Tom Richfield, our editor, and it was great. We had some burritos. We talked, and it was awesome. So I just wanted to get that out of the way (laughs) and say how excited I was to uh, be working with a person. A completely different continent, but we were able to sit down and just immediately rap with one another just because, you know, we have this sort of common bond. Let's get some other business out of the way. Review the show. Visit the website. So if you go to iTunes and... I really have to give props to the people who have just thrown a bunch of reviews on there. Honestly, since the last time I recorded one of these, which was about two weeks ago, we've had like, I don't know, 10 other reviews. You know, people like a dude named Kyle from Canada. I don't know. It just really resonated with me because he basically was like, yo, I'm a metal dude. I had no idea about a lot of this stuff that you're talking about, but it introduced me to, you know, this world and a whole different side of music. And holy shit. Like that could not be a higher compliment paid to the show because that's exactly what I want. I want to, you know, broaden your own landscape and your own understanding of music uh, in the same fashion that, you know, was afforded to me either when I was younger or still currently. So, yes, Kyle from Canada, also Tony Madge, the, whatever the username on iTunes is called. He tossed in a great review uh, and mentioned a few episodes like the Scott Vogel episode and the Frank Three Gun from Hatebreed episode and uh, also December's Edge. That's a pretty emotional name, but uh, his comment really resonated with me as well because it spoke about putting his life in context in hearing all of these other people's experiences. And um, yeah, that's just really gratifying. Keep the reviews coming in. I will mention them. I do read them and I really, really take them to heart. So visit the website, 100 Words Podcast. Uh, I was on vacation for a little bit, so the content was a little slow there, but uh, it'll be picking up this week. So go there. You'll be able to find recommendations, books, movies, music, all that type of stuff, all that pop culture goodness that we all crave. So yes, Alex Henry, I became aware of him via his band Basement. Uh, They played a music festival that uh, I helped run called Sound and Fury. They played, I want to say, in the 2011 edition. I can't recall exactly, but uh, I was really excited because the band had originally their first record was kind of a, I don't know, small brown bikey sort of, you know, post hardcore type stuff. But it really resonated with me. I liked it. I'm saying resonate a lot. I apologize. It really spoke to me. (laughs) I loved what they were doing. And it was always cool to have a band that didn't sound like all the other bands that were playing the festival. Uh, I didn't meet any of those guys, but was excited for them to play. Then watched Basement as they developed over the years. And then they announced their hiatus, I think at some point in 2012. But Alex was very 
prolific in releasing visual representations of bands, commonly known as music videos. And his art that he created with that was really cool. Like he's done a lot of music videos for people on the run for cover roster, like Turnover. But then he also put together a really compelling piece on the first and only U.S. tour that Basement did. I don't know. It was just really cool. So, by the way, he plays guitar. I mean, I don't know if that's relevant, but, uh, well, I guess it is because technically you should know what he does in the band. But, uh, yeah, we had a great conversation. Uh, I think he was sitting in the run for cover office, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he was, uh, great to kind of talk about a bunch of different stuff that I didn't think we were going to hit on, but we did. So here's the conversation. Here's Alex. I will talk to you after. I set these things off. It's just basically my my own personal intro to what you have done musically and just kind of, you know, as a person in general. I just remember, uh, I think it was 2011. Uh, that's when Justin from Man Overboard was started to, I mean, I, I knew him prior to that, uh, but he just started to tell me about you guys, Basement in general. And I listened to the first record and I really enjoyed what you guys did. Um, it definitely didn't click with me until I saw you guys when we put you on Sound and Fury because I helped do that festival. And once I saw you guys, I was kind of like, I get what you're doing. I don't know. For me, the first record didn't, uh, I guess, capture, I guess, what exactly I think you guys were trying to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if you agree with that or if that was just something that... It's a band's first record. The thing that impressed me as well, and obviously this is definitely a trend that I see in general, you know, because I'm 32 years old, so I'm by all definition of the term, like fucking old for this music. (laughs) So anytime I view kids that are, when I say kids, I use that for everybody, but people under the age of 25 playing music that can resonate with people such as myself who are dead and buried. So it was like, I, I, I look at it from the perspective of like young guys playing old guy music, but can still translate to young kids, young kids, if that makes sense. Um, (laughs) have you and like is that something that you have noticed yourself where it's like you have your kids that are younger that can get into what you guys were doing but then you had people who were a few years older and from kind of a quote-unquote different generation understanding what you guys were doing as well yeah i mean I i find that personally like a huge compliment because uh i guess people who are like older than us we're i'm 23 of us are 24 uh turning 25 this year and the other guys are 20 and 21 Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean to hear someone who's maybe even five ten years older than us to say they like our music that for me is a huge compliment you know just i guess someone who i see them as people older wiser and Sometimes people say, oh, yeah, I like your band. And I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool. Cause, I mean, maybe only because our fan base is predominantly, you know, it was with a younger market, which is cool, which is fine. But yeah, yeah. I guess people I kind of look up to who are a bit older and then for them to say they still like our music, that is it's a nice thing to hear. As, as much as like you obviously want to appeal to your immediate peers and kids that are younger as the music scene continues but you know we as in you know people involved in music we get older but the kids that go to shows stay the same age like yeah (laughs) and so for you to like obviously be able to kind of hit both those things like i just it's such a hard line to to toe and the fact that you guys did it i was like way to go way to not be a terrible band (laughs) thanks (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome yeah so i usually like to start these things off as well with just the you know born and raised ipswich correct actually i was born in the the rival town over in norwich but um i've lived in ipswich or at least in suffolk for pretty much all my life 
and Ipswich is, I guess, the big town. I, I don't know. It's not a big town. There's not, nothing really happens. Uh, you have to kind of find cool things to do because there's not really much to do. People go to the nightclubs, people drink. You get in that, like, really vicious cycle of just doing nothing with your life. And, like, there's, I don't know, working in AXA insurance, which is, like, the main thing which a lot of young people end up doing. I actually ended up working there one, one summer before we went away on tour. And in that few months, I got that job. I was like, what the heck am I doing? This is actually soul crushing. Um, I mean, we all had like part-time jobs with the banks. We were, we never went full time. So it was always like get a job, then go on tour. Mm-hmm. And I think it was in that moment that I realized like I will do anything. I don't care. As long as I make enough money to survive, I will do anything that means I don't have to do this because <laughs> I can't do this. Like I will, I would wake up and be like, I don't want to have to get up. Like I don't <laughs> want to have to go to this dead end job. Even though I know it's for the summer, I don't even want to do it. And it, it paid well, but it, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I was with a bunch of other older guys. Even they were like, Alex, get the heck out of here. Like, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> like, they were like, live the rock and roll dream. I was like, dude, you have no idea. But I mean, I get what you're saying. Right, right. So yeah, Ipswich is like, actually, everyone in the band has now moved out of Ipswich. I mean, I live in America now and the rest of the guys live in London. Mm-hmm. And there's always that fear of like not being that guy who gets stuck in Ipswich. And that's a genuine fear that we all had. No one wants to be stuck in Ipswich because it is seen as a dead end town. Like, no offense to all my, not no offense, because like, it is a nice place to have, like, I guess a family and stuff that is right near the countryside. And it's really cool. But it's just being a young person is kind of tough to live there because there's just not a lot going on. There's just not a lot going on. Yeah, but, uh, there's there's no culture. I mean, maybe well, you... it has culture. It's just like quiet. And there's a lot of like old people. And like it was in the news and they reported it as Ipswich, the town that we forgot. That's the best way I can describe it. So. <laughs> What? Yeah. Oh, it's an incredibly low crime rate like nothing really happens like that's it switch so there's that like fear that you don't you want to get out and that's i know that resonated with andrew and uh, on the seven inch and a lot of other lyric i don't know stuff that like he wanted to write about like you know you don't want to get stuck there yeah yeah so, so like what uh obviously in you know your travels across america is there a town that you uh, felt you could compare this to? Because like I'm just trying to figure out like you know like population wise like are we, is it a pretty major metropolitan city? Because I'm just not familiar. No, not really. They're just like like it's just town. So like uh, yeah, yeah. It has like I don't know. It has a football stadium and I don't know the population, but it's it's not big. It's like it has a small town center and that's about it like it has all your basic kind of stuff that you'd want to do um trying to compare it to somewhere in america i feel like it's not as bad as like somewhere just in the middle of nowhere like midwest because you're only an hour away from london but then again england's so small that you could easily travel anywhere on the train i I don't know i can't compare it to america because america is just so different in the way that it's towns and everything is laid out like you guys have stuff on the side of the roads to me that makes no sense in england (laughs) you drive somewhere you park your car and then you walk around the town like you walk around the city center like you in america you just drive it doesn't make any sense basically yeah yeah no I, <laughs> unless you go somewhere really big like new york boston right. philadelphia everywhere else is just in this weird just it doesn't make sense to me but yeah. yeah i love when people hit on those points like that obviously aren't from america that have experienced america that are just like these things like logistically don't make sense for where we come from like that's fucking insane <laughs> yeah i mean well england I, I sometimes wish that england was on a grid system sometimes because it's all like windy roads but then i like that it's like a charm of england it's like really just you're on this little road and (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i think the mentality that you're speaking of in regards to um you know kind of being stuck in a very like you said forgettable town you know i I think that's definitely a experience that 
is echoed by the Midwest, exactly what you're talking about, where it's like the this town that isn't isn't necessarily bad to live in. Like there's okay things going on here, but um, I, you know, I kind of want to see what else is out there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and so, what with when you were saying the uh, the insurance job, like what what were you doing? Were you just like cold calling people to sell them insurance? No, no, no. Okay, <laughs> I honestly don't even know what I was doing, but I'll try and explain it to you. <laughs> so, a lady who actually ended up living at my house for a while because we had a spare room that we would rent out to people. She uh, she was like incredibly clever, and it was all to do with like statistics and. Mm-hmm the statistics of insurance to figure out like premiums and like just all this stat stuff. I have no idea what was going on. Anyway, she was like, Hey, they need someone to be like a tester to test out that their code is correct. So I was like, I know nothing about math. I know nothing about stats, like whatever. I'll go to the interview. So I just up in a suit, went down there. I was like, there's no way I'm going to get this job, (laughs) but whatever. Um, I went down the lady was like, hi, nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And I just blagged it. And I don't think you have that word in America, but blag is to like not con your way, but just, just yeah, try you... and act like you know what you're talking about, but you don't. Right, and uh, right. I was just honest. I didn't lie. She was like, so in an instant where a statogram, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, had no idea what she was saying. I was like, obviously, you know that I uh, haven't had experience in uh, statistics and all this kind of stuff. But what I would suggest is, and I would just like kind of just make up an idea and like somehow word it that it was good and just kind of uh, accent the fact that I'm good with people and people skills and I could work part of a team and I could learn quick and I was young, all that kind of rubbish. And I got the job and yeah, it like paid really well. But honestly, every day I would go in and just be like trying to kill time. I didn't know what I was doing and it was just, it was terrible. It was really terrible. But during that time, it was when we were planning to do our first ever U.S. tour. Mm -hmm. I was just basically planning everything while I was at work, like sending emails, like ordering things, trying to figure things out. Like it was really and then just try not to get caught. And then eventually (laughs) I just left that left that I was like, hey, I'm going to America. Like, yeah, see ya. (laughs) Well, that's perfect. They basically paid you to book Basement's American tour, which is great. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But um, yeah, that that job was definitely a, a turning point for me when I was like, okay. I will literally do anything other than this. Like I would do anything to be creative. And that was definitely something that sparked out of that, that I realized I can't be stuck in a job like this. So right. yeah, yeah, that you... gave me motiva- definitely gave me motivation. So I learned from it and it was, I guess, a good learning curve. Well, yeah, yeah. Any, anytime you experience that sort of, yeah, I mean, I think it's human nature when you experience adversity in something that you're just like, this is what I don't want. That's good because I mean, that's why people date. It's like why people experience these things in order to know that like, okay, this is what I'm not looking for in my life. <laughs> But I think, well, I was looking around at other guys there and they were like, don't settle. I think people in life, have, they've settled with these things because, I mean, the job did pay my bills. I had money. I had a secure job, all that kind of stuff. And so I can understand why people settle with it totally. Like, But for me, it personally forced me to be like, right, I don't care about money. I don't care about the security. I just need to wake up every day and not hate myself and hate the job that I'm doing. I got to wake up every day and be excited and like psyched on what I'm doing. And I don't care how long it takes me. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Cause like you said, a lot of people go through their lives and they don't have that revelation until like they're 55 years old and like five years away from retiring. And then they start to like, Oh, maybe I wasted like 35 years at this shit job or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, brothers and sisters. And what was like your family structure? like i have a younger brother 
And actually, my both my parents remarried, and I actually have another younger brother. I hate calling him a half brother. I, like he's my brother, <laughs> and uh, so he's like five. He's awesome. He's grown up. I actually really miss him. Not being there to see him like grow up is actually kind of hard. But it's cool to like FaceTime the family and like see pictures of him and stuff. And I'm actually going back to the UK in like a week, so I'm excited to see all my family and my other brother who's like 21. He's getting married, so there's a lot of family stuff going on back home, which is cool that I'll be able to see everyone. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, I grew up in a great family. Family, uh, despite my parents like breaking up, like they get on super well. And uh, how old were you when they uh, split up? Uh, I was like probably honestly like three or four, so I don't even remember it. All I've ever known is being in like just growing up with my mom and my brother. But yeah, so my parents were divorced at roughly the same age, and yeah, you don't remember that. So it's like whatever your existence is, as long as your parents are kind of like in your life. You don't know any different. You're not like, oh, this is what could have been. It's like that's yeah, <laughs> that's that's not. I mean, I'm, I'm super it. blessed because I hear people talking about like their mom tries to make them hate their dad, and the dad makes them hate their mom, and all, and I just had like your dad loves you, your mom loves you, like, and they were always civil whenever they'd see each other. There was never any problem. If anything, the only problem that arose from that was I really hoped that they'd get back together. Like that was the only thing, but that's nothing compared to people who don't even like I don't know, don't have parents or their parents don't get on. And so I've been really blessed with like a great family life, and I'm I'm really grateful to both my parents for like being just so awesome about it. And my stepdad and my stepmom, who uh, especially when my mom started like dating Graham, who's my stepdad, I gave him hell. Me and my brother, like, he oh, was I so. Can- <laughs> I can imagine. Like, we were so, like, it was so hard to take. Like, here's another guy coming into our life. It's always been the three of us. It's always been just our mom is our mom, and no one can take her away from us. And we honestly felt like, no, like, we don't like you. You're a nerd. You're really clever. Like, you're not sporty. You don't do cool stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so we were really mean to him. But as time grew on, and I, as I matured and got older and realized, you know, I want my mom to be happy and realizing that he's an awesome guy, I don't know. He's like the the best guy ever he's one of the smartest people i've ever met in my whole life and uh again really happy to have him in my life as well so yeah yeah, super blessed i think your reaction is definitely as far as a new person coming in you're like dude you're gonna upset the balance of stuff (laughs) like this is the way that it worked for so long so it was hard because i was like yeah you know you're a young kid like you're like what the heck this is meant to be just the three of us against the world you know what i mean and yeah then someone else comes along who takes like that attention you know what i mean it works out, and she's happy, and that's more important to me. For sure, for sure. And what did your uh, what did your parents do for a living? Uh, my mom is a lawyer. My mm. stepdad is a judge. Uh, my real dad, he's a headmaster of a, t- of a school, and my stepmom is a teacher as well. Oh, that's that's a very uh, you have a wide a, a wide spread <laughs> of of careers that could have been yeah. introduced to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my mom kind of want. I thought they'd push me for law. They, they thought that'd be cool for me, and. I was like, no, I don't think I could do that. There's too much work to take home every night. And then my dad is a teacher and, and well, and a headmaster now. But, um, and I guess I saw that as like a backup. Like, yeah, I could guess I could always be a teacher, but I was never passionate about it. So, mm-hmm. but I always saw that as like, I guess. Right. But I was like, not psyched on that idea, really. I was like, oh, whatever, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, didn't follow after either of them, but definitely <laughs> took skills from them as I grew up. Right, right. Would you say that you spent most of your formative years? And when I say formative years, like, you know, once you started to go to... Because do, do you call high school secondary or is that college? Yeah, but yeah, high school, yeah, high school, secondary school. Okay. Um, so I imagine like in, you know, your formative years in high school, is that what, kind of when you started to get into music? And like, when did that start to become a part of your life? Yeah. Um, so actually... In the house that I was raised, my mom hated any music that wasn't classical or like <laughs> or like worship music. So 
I didn't really ever listen to any punk rock. Actually, the word punk actually scared me. I was like, I just imagined like screaming scary people when I was like, had no idea. So when my friend first showed me Green Day and he told me they're a punk band, I don't even think he said pop punk. He said they're a punk band. I was like, there's no way I'm going to like this. Like, this is going to be like scary music. And so when I listened to Dookie for the first time, I was like, I don't understand. This sounds like pop. Like, this is, he's singing. Like, there's there's so much melody. I didn't get it. Like, and I was like, I thought you said this was punk. And then that's when I started like understanding like what punk was and people started showing me more and more bands. But it, the approach that I had was the bands I listened to definitely had to have melody. They definitely had to have something that could attract me because that's all I'd ever heard. So bands like Green Day, the Ataris, Vandals, um, and then I guess later on bands like Pearl Jam. I don't know, I can go on, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like there's just so many that I was like, okay, I was getting into that. Yeah. through those kind of bands you know it, what i mean it was it was very different to most kids who were listening to like funeral for a friend lost profits like these kind of maybe rockier heavier bands didn't really get it at, at first and i imagine this was like this was probably like what late 90s yeah which is interesting because obviously it's like all those things you're mentioning i mean they they obviously resonate with me as well but that's just because i was like tw- you know i was 12 in 1992 so that that was like when everything started to happen especially from pearl jam but then, yeah, I remember Green Day Dookie coming out and obviously, you know, blowing my mind. But it's cool that you had that experience, except the joke always is that the rest of the world is always a few years behind America. Like, just all yeah. like, <laughs> and so that kind of rings true where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, the UK, like, even though you're cutting edge and obviously know some things like pretty well that, you know, there's still a few year gap where it's like, oh, yeah, Dookie, like, this is the hot yeah. shit in 99. But, yeah, yeah. It's like, um, it probably was even like early 2000s for me because... Again, I've just been. I didn't. I don't know what I'm trying to think. It's almost. I can almost remember not really being into mu. Not in. Not being into music. That that my friend came around and they're like, "Where are all your CDs?" <laughs> and I was like, "What do you mean?" And they're looking at my CD rack and they're like, "Like why is like?" And it was just like weird. I don't even know what it was. Like it was just stuff that they were like, "Where's?" And they're like, "Right." So they started burning me CDs. My friend Tom and Fran would come around and they'd leave me more compilations like Punkarama. Uh-huh. They just leave that there. They'd leave like. Just so many bands and like showing me more and more and more. And so that's where it all started in high school. So, that, that, that's incredible. And so when you, and when you say worship music, like were your parents pretty religious and they were, they raised you as such? Yeah. Yeah. Like I grew up in a Christian family, uh, both my mom and my dad. Yeah. That's just like been a formative thing on my life. Um, mm-hmm. and something that I still like hold dear. And you, you, so you still, you still identify with, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Like, uh, actually that's weird. That sounds lame. You don't have to be a Christian to go to church, but no, no. like, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I hate that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I, you I see, get, yeah. You it's see. a weird thing to say. Like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, it's the confines of this music scene. It's definitely one of those things where it's like, there's judgment that is cast upon that 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 label yeah Yeah, that label and it definitely um it obviously it's not the most popular of opinions and so it's like anytime you run across a person where it's like even if they mention that they are you know quote unquote spiritual like they believe in something greater than you know what's right in front of them people are kind of like yo really like don't you know that shit's a myth or whatever like you know (laughs) and so yeah yeah dude i mean dude i see tweets every day like it'll be crazy i'll just see someone post like something like crazy about something or some crazy story about some wacko kind of christian or yeah i don't know they'll just say something crazy and like that's obviously their opinion and that's that's fine and i have friends and i love talking about it with all my friends and different Mm. people i meet will have like really cool discussions and sure it, it sucks especially in america and it's really sad to see that in the last even like i guess 100 but probably more than 50 years of like i don't know like christians really demonizing certain 
things like lifestyles and putting that as like this is the one sin that you can't do and if you do that then you're the worst and that's obviously caused major boundaries and like gaps between people and and deservedly like the like christians have messed up like they've offended and hurt people and it sucks to now like being a young person to like have to like not reap that but like be at the receiving end of that yeah oh i i totally agree and i understand where you're coming from any philosophical belief that you identify with and you you label yourself as such you you bring the good just as much as you bring whatever bad that comes with it like i mean you know using another example like straight edge where it's like people that label themselves straight edge like i i myself am and i am proud to be that but there's obviously a vocal minority of people who you know feel that straight edge has a lot of connections with you know violence and i've never gotten a fight my entire life like i don't that's not me but that is something you have to address because people bring that up and you're like well yeah that's not me i don't beat people up with grocery dividers like <laughs> you know yeah no i, I know i know exactly yeah, you, have to, you have to quantify it because you've labeled yeah. yourself as such so was there ever a point and the only reason i belabor this is because i, I mean i myself define for lack of a better term call myself christian but so did you did you go through any points in your life where it was uh questioned it where you were like i don't know if i want to do this anymore i mean i probably questioned stuff like probably last week you know what i mean like there's stuff that i wrestle with all the time but um i mean as i as i went to university i was like right i'm away from my parents i can do whatever i want i don't have to go to church on sunday if i don't want to i can figure out what i want to do you know what i mean but mm -hmm. uh for me personally that was the only that's the only place that i've ever found real peace, real happiness, real joy, and real meaning to my life. And every time that maybe, like maybe a few weeks go by and I haven't, I haven't like prayed, I haven't read the Bible, I haven't gone to church, and I lack that kind of spiritual involvement in my life, I, I don't feel good. I feel, I feel empty. I feel kind of lost. And to some people, it might seem a bit foreign, yeah. but to have that in my life is something that I hold very dear. And for me personally, it, uh, it defines who I am. And yeah, I mean, I've been through, you know, highs, lows, all that kind of stuff with my faith, but I'm still here standing strong with it. And uh, it's definitely, it's definitely something that I, I don't know, it's people like, it's not real, man. <laughs> it's like, you're crazy. I'm like, well, there's things in my life. You just, you can't, you can't take away those experiences. You can't take away the things that have happened to you. You know what I mean? And then no matter what, they try and bring up facts and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the most important thing, and I think most, like, I guess, Christians will say it's like, it's the personal relationship that you've had and it's the things with your faith where you've just seen, you know, this is just real for me. And no matter what anyone says, that's just, that defines who I am. And that is, that yeah. is truth. Well, no, so, I, I... so yeah, for me, that's something that is like, but there's obviously things every day I'll be thinking about like, oh, what about this? Or like, I'll think about something else. And like, there'll be little things I have to like, I don't know, think about. And then I'll, I guess I'll talk to someone or give someone a call and then we'll like talk about it. And, yeah, because you, you're obviously coming from a, a non-judgmental place, and like this is your this is your experience, this is your truth, whatever you define it as, and like you know that's that summarizes who you are as a person just as much as you know being you know an atheist defines another person. It's like that's just a reality. That's their reality. I know, and it's it's cool to have those conversations with people. Like I remember the first time, I think it was the first time I ever went on tours with the Wandy is, and I feel like coming out of that tour. Like, I was like, right, if I can handle this, of them being, like, so, st especially Michael Kennedy and Dan Campbell both being very strong, fervent atheists, and then being like, you're literally crazy. <laughs> and me being on tour with them for, like, a few months across the whole U.S., 
and then coming off that tour and be like, you know what, I survived that. I think I can survive anything. You know what I mean? Like my faith is like <laughs> to go through them being like, they would be so psyched if I called them up one day. I was like, hey man, like, yeah, you know what, you're right. I'm, I'm not a Christian anymore. They'd be like, they'd have like a yeah. party for me. But it's like, they're like some good friends I've known for, for years. And every time we see each other, we talk and yeah. it's great. And, well, it, uh, it, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, we can... I hate to use it, like coexist or whatever, but like, you yeah. know, we can, and we can have great relationships with people of faith and non-faith. And it's cool to know that. And I've had numerous conversations with all my friends and it's nice. It's, it's good. Yeah. It's healthy. No, I mean, there's because there's a borderline of respect and that's like, ultimately that's, that, that's how the dialogue should be in the quote unquote real world. Because, you know, we obviously are in a scene in which, you know, different beliefs and different uh, ideas are, you know, more freely expressed than, you know, the mainstream world or whatever. So yeah, that's how everybody, sh- you know, it should just be that level of discussion where it's like, okay, well, we agree to disagree. You go your way. I'll go mine. That's it. Yeah. And like, it's just easy when we can just have like a, a good conversation without anyone raising their voice, without anyone shouting about, and you know, we can get like emotionally invested in our, in our argument of what we're saying or like what we're talking about. But at the end of the day, like we've always ended our conversations, like being friends and right. Uh, just yeah, I guess at the at worst comes to worst, it's like okay, I'll agree to disagree. Yeah, you know what I mean. But most of the time, it's like I'm listening to them; they're listening to me, and yeah, yeah. it's cool. Sometimes when I hear someone, they're like, they'd be like, "Well, what about this?" And I'd be like, "Honestly, I I can't. I don't have an answer for that." Hey, you know what? I'll I'm gonna read up on that, or like try and get you an answer, and I'll try and come back and like say like, "Hey, this is this is how I could maybe answer that." Or oh, by the way, like you know what I mean? Like sometimes it's like there isn't an answer for everything. Like, right. So it's cool just to have that. And, yeah, I know. I just respect each other. Yeah, it's no, great. That's it. I wish people were more like that in the scene, especially hardcore, because you see people get on stage and be like, I don't know, they'll just say something crazy. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, people who fall to their knees and pray to God or like, uh, like say like all this mean stuff. And it's like, you know, it's probably a kid, a young kid in there. Maybe, maybe that's his first show. And he's like, what the heck? Well, I'm definitely not coming back now. But <laughs> yeah, I no, no, like, no I, totally, I understand your point. It's intimidating when a person older than you is telling you to not be something. And you're like, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, just think about how bummed if it was the reverse. If you went to a show and they're like, if you're not a crit, you know, it just lives up to everything that they're protesting against. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Each to their own. But I always just find that kind of, it's kind of lame when people take the stage and use it to try and either belittle someone or be like, no, this is the way that we live our life. I thought hardcore was about being like having open yeah. minds, but I, let's not go down that road. Right. But- oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, no, you know, your, you know point, your point is completely taken. I totally understand where you're coming from. It's like you're not targeting people for saying they can't express their beliefs on stage, but there is a difference uh, saying that this is, to borrow quotes from the Bible, this is the way, the truth, and the light. Like, everything else is the fucking worst thing of all time. And so that's not how it should be within what you're doing within the independent music culture. You know, going back to, you know, when your friends were basically dropping you off burn CDs and kind of exposing you to that, did you have a sense that you wanted to play in a band? Like, when did, the, when did that peak its head in? Um, I always wanted to play guitar. So my mom used to play uh, this old, like, um, like a Spanish Latin guitar with, like, you know, nylon strings. She'd, like, play that and, like, sing us to sleep. And uh, so I always had a guitar in my life. So I started just learning that at school, in, like, mm-hmm. primary school. So I'd always had, like, just the idea of playing guitar. I never thought in my life, that, even through high school, I never thought I could ever write a song. I had no <laughs> idea. I All I'd ever do was just, you know, learn tabs off the internet and, like, play a few songs and a few, like, scales, all that kind of stuff. So I was, like, a competent guitar player. I had no idea how you write a song. And it wasn't until I went away to university. And, yeah, I really haven't written a song all up to university. And uh, Andrew was showing me demos for for basement like he'd been in a bunch of bands and i thought it was amazing and i kind of wished i could be in a band but i was like i 
how would you even go about doing that? You know what I mean? I, I just didn't think I was talented enough. I didn't think I was a good enough guitar player to figure that kind uh-huh. of stuff out. But so he started sending me like these kind of really rough demos. And at the time I was playing bass for the band, I was kind of like noodling over the, like once I learned the chords and I guess that was the first time I'd ever written anything when I was like writing these like really simple, dumb little bass lines over the tracks. And uh, yeah, that's where it all came from. And then eventually, yeah, for the for the dem- for the seven inch, I'd written my first mm-hmm. song. And then strangely enough, it just went from there. I don't know how it just suddenly started to click. And then I started writing more and more and then became one of the main writers in the band with every- like all of it. It's just weird like to think back when I couldn't even write a song. I didn't know how <laughs> yeah, that worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So B- Basement, for all intent and purposes, was your first band, first and only band? Uh, actually, I was in a high school band. It was just like punk covers. It was like me first and the Gimme Gimme's. We'd just like do punk covers of stuff. Yeah, that's like, my, I guess, my first band, but we only ever played at our school, you know, like school recitals. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's that's yeah. impressive that Basement was your first band. I don't believe you got the true experience. You're supposed to be in a terrible band first, and, and then <laughs> that's when you graduate and move on to a band that, you know, is a little more mature, but yeah, you, you fucked up, Alex. I'm sorry. Well, the demo wasn't <laughs> great, but I mean, we know we learned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, being a band in the UK in and of itself is isolating because they're like prior to the job that i have now i used to work at century media records and so i worked with a lot of bands from the uk um like bands like devil sold his soul and architects and stuff like that it was always really interesting for me to view certain bands uh not not so much like a band like architects because they are obviously making an an impact over here in the states now uh, but a band like devil sold his soul where no one no one in the united states of america knows who that band is at all there are certain bands that exist solely in the uk that never do anything anywhere else but the fact that you guys obviously deliberately tried to make your impact more felt in the states like you know was that was that something that was very conscious of you guys to be like okay we're not just going to be that band that just plays in the uk i mean that was a dream like i we never i wouldn't say it was like a plan but it was definitely we wanted to be known in the u.s because all the bands that we wanted to play with were in the u.s i mean at the time i looked at run for cover records as the best label in the whole world. I loved everything about it. I loved every single band on the label. My dream was to be on that label. And um, so I wanted to play with those bands, and we couldn't because they were all in the U.S. So bands like Tiger's Jaw, Agent, Title Fight, Fireworks, you know, when when the whole scene was starting, that's where I wanted to be, and we couldn't. So we would just end up playing, like, kind of, like, hardcore shows in the U.K. Um, There was, like, no one playing alternative music that we really were psyched mm-hmm. about which sucked and that's why we always had to wait for u.s bands to come over to tour with them we actually never did a tour with a uk band which is really <laughs> sad um we did tours with uk hardcore bands but never a uk alternative band and it sucks like i remember sharks hitting us up but that was when we were kind of like uh, ending uh-huh. but besides that it was always like oh, this is kind of a bummer and the thing is with the uk press which is very different to the u.s yep. so we have magazines like kerrang and rock sound now if those bands put you on the cover and tell kids this is the band you have to listen to and they put maybe a track from you, your band on the CD, your band will be famous mm-hmm. in the UK. The press has such large influence, you wouldn't even yeah. believe it. And the weird thing is, so as Basement started uh, doing uh, more things after, I think it was the first record, Rock Sound liked our band and they, they hit us up and they're like, hey, we want to do these few little articles here and there. And you know, they'd push our name every so often in, in each magazine, like each month or week or whenever it came out. And honestly, you could see the effects. And it was mind-blowing. These younger kids who I'd look at, and they're like, they've never maybe even heard punk or hardcore in their life. And they're saying that they like basement. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, really crazy to me. And especially when I came over to America, I realized 
these bands get in this little circle in the UK where they can dominate the UK scene. They can play all these, I don't know, crazy sold out yep. venues, but no one in America has yeah. ever heard of them because they're just in this weird thing where they just they're stuck in this UK press cycle. That's all they they live for is to try and get on the cover of Korean or they try and do like a live session for this whatever. It's just so dumb, and so we never really cared about magazines. It was just like a random thing that ended up just happening. And I was like, well, if they're gonna do it, why not? Like, I don't really care. I I'm definitely didn't start a band to be in a magazine. Like, I wanted to right. travel, and so well, I re- it was just it was just great to know that there are people out in the states. So when we'd see like title fight or transit or balance composer they maybe post a little thing about us or oh we've been listening to this like that was on my radar i couldn't believe it like i couldn't believe that they knew about us so yeah yeah it was definitely a big help to our friends and then eventually run for cover which is the massive push yeah, so, yeah yeah very crazy because people people don't like if they don't pay attention to what the uk press is like they'll have no concept and i, I your point is completely well taken where it's like it, it's insane it's all it's to the point where it's like you know a lot of those magazines uh, if a kid would look at it over here in the states and you know be a little bit older, they would look at it kind of like a you know like a tabloid magazine. I don't mean that in like a derogatory sense, but just in a sense like any sort of sensationalistic thing that the magazine can put in there about a band, a drama, or anything like that, that will get so much press and like that will get so many people talking about that band for better or worse. And then yeah, it could totally be that that cycle of where that's the only thing that kind of matters to bands because that just feeds the machine, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's very crazy. It's funny when bands would be like, Oh, so have you done like these, have you played this venue in the UK? And we'd be like, no. And they'd be like, really? And like, Oh, we thought you were like, you know, successful or whatever. Like we would play this one festival and everyone, it's all about like, Oh, where have you played and who have you played with? And then we'd be like, Oh, have you guys ever like been to America or anything? And they'd be like, no. <laughs> and we'd be like, Oh yeah, like you know, they're, they're, oh, even to Australia, they're like, no, like they ever been to like Europe, you know, they've never done it. Maybe played one show in France. Like they, they would just do the UK circuit until their band just the legs fall off and that's it, and they're done. That's what a lot of things happen with the UK. The band just they just keep doing the UK until no one cares about their band. It's really weird. Yeah, it's very uh, there, there's definitely. I think to me, one of the most uh, bright examples of that. I remember a band, that band Hundred Reason. Oh yeah, they were sick. And I just remember them doing, they did a split CD here in the States with like Garrison. They could play to, you know, negative 100 people over here in the States, but then in the UK, it would be, you know, massive. And it was just like, no, like, it's just such a weird thing. I mean, the same could be said where it's like in Canada, there are bands that are, you know, a band like Alexis on Fire can play stadiums and then come to the States and play like in front of 300 people. It's so weird how these random dividing lines, especially in internet culture, where it's like, it's easy to get bands now but. yeah i mean it is now interesting to now see who because of the internet obviously now more bands can break out and get to the states but it is still very hard to break from the uk but it is interesting now i try and see like oh i wonder if this band's on their radar i wonder like it's interesting to hear american kids like oh i like this band i'm like oh okay cool that's cool that they know about yeah. them but yes yeah, it's definitely interesting to see like especially when some american bands do so well in the in the uk and they just don't do well in the u.s it's yeah, yeah. Crazy. And there, yeah, there's really no rhyme or reason behind it. You said, you know, you didn't really tour with any alternative bands in, you know, the UK or anything. Like, w- did you guys feel isolated from that perspective? Was it like, oh, man, like, we're, we're kind of just trying to do our thing, but no one's really... Actually, at first, it was really funny. The first tour we ever did, like, actual tour, was Tiger's Door, end of the year, and ourselves. And 
we were like, holy cow, this is amazing. This is great. Like, I'd been friends with Tiger's Jaw, so it was so cool for them, like, to tour with us. And it was their first ever UK tour. Then the next tour, we did a few dates with, um, I think it was, like, Transit and Man Overboard. And then we did the Daylight and Hostage Calm. And people started getting upset and being like, oh, Basement, all they ever do is, like, tour with everyone. Like, oh, sick of seeing Basement. So we're like, <laughs> great. So we we <laughs> we don't, we tour too much now because supposedly we're touring on every tour. But there's no other band to do it, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? which people probably take offense to that. But I mean, it was then we're like, right, so now we have to be careful, like what tours we take on, but now we can't, we never thought we were big enough to do a headliner. So it's just really weird. It was like, all right, so we just won't tour for a little bit. Like we'll just play it safe. I don't know. It was like a weird time at the start. Cause now we're like, we're, oh great. We're touring too much. And then kids were like, oh, you're not touring enough. Like it was just like, oh, shut up. Like we'll just tour whenever we feel like it. Yeah. So, <laughs> actually after that daylight one, we, we didn't do any tours with alternative bands until title fight, maybe like at the end of the year or something. It was like, it was a long mm. time. We didn't really do anything. I didn't think I felt alienated. I just felt like we didn't have any options, which sucked because I would love to have gone out with like maybe some other UK bands that were really psyched on. Like I'd look to America and be like, oh, look at these awesome tour packages. Everyone like, Great bands complement each other. They look like they're friends. Like I wish we had that. Yeah. So, but we ended up doing that with like a few hardcore bands. It was really fun. We went to Europe with More Than Life and BWP, and that was an incredible tour. But at times, it, did, it would have been nice to have another alt band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A band that sonically sounds kind of like what you guys are doing. Once they became aware of the work that you did uh, video wise as well, there's something that's so uh, distinct about when a person can capture a feeling on camera. And I think like the, the, the two parts that you did on, well, first U.S. tour was so interesting because I, I, I really liked how you tried to capture just the general feeling. It wasn't like, oh, dude, the shows are fucking incredible. Like it was, it was just it was like we are strangers in a strange land. And th- this is such a unique experience. And I just thought it came across really well. Yeah. Thanks, man. I uh, actually that was the whole point of it. I'd seen so many bands like. Day one, we're here, we're killing it, we're playing to thousands of kids, we're the big dogs. I was like, that is so lame. Like, And they just show, they would like get little clips of like everyone clapping and make everyone look like they care about their band. I was like, you know what, let's make a video that has no video of us playing. Let's make a video that has nothing to do with being in a band. Let's just put this out of the most important thing about me being in that band was that we're friends and that we love going out and exploring and doing cool stuff so i was like you know what this is really what touring with us would be like if you were here you know what i mean and obviously i just wanted to capture it we're going to america no one goes to america like we're just a dumb little band who somehow raised enough money to buy our flights you know what i mean (laughs) yeah uh, yeah so i was like of course i gotta film this and at times i didn't want to film that's why there's not that many clips i exhausted every clip in those videos because all i wanted to do was have fun and it was almost a chore to pick up the camera and film it because i was like i just want to be having fun so luckily I'm glad I did actually end up filming some stuff because I can always look back on it, always, and be like, wow, that was the best. Especially, I mean, this could be said about family vacations where it's like the intentions to capture things are so great at the beginning. But then when you're actually in the middle of something and it caught like, you know, it's essentially work to do that sort of stuff. And then you're just like, but no, I don't want to do that because I want to I want to be there in the moment and experience that. Yeah, I want to be in on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, so- it was, yeah, I'm sure it was a struggle for you the entire time. Yeah, I was like, oh, I don't want to, like, especially when we're at the beach, the last thing I wanted to do was film. Like, I just wanted to just get in the water and have a good time. Um, and I don't know, numerous times I was like, but then I looked back and I was like, oh, why didn't I film more? Like, I got really <laughs> bummed. I was like, there were so many things I missed, like, that we did. And I, was, and I think I mentioned it right at the end of the video, like, but I can't capture everything. You know what I mean? Like, I had to 
you got to just live it, you know what I mean? It's not about like, oh, we've got to capture this crazy moment and make it look like we're having so much fun. That was just natural. Like, I just picked up my camera when I felt like yeah. it. And, well, yeah. I, I think it speaks, too, to a lot of, I mean, obviously, the the culture we live in currently where if you if you have not taken a photo, an Instagram photo of a show that you went to or an experience that you had, it didn't exist. Um, and yeah. it's always, you know, I mean, I can't remember. Uh, I was talking to a friend and, like, we were joking around where it's like the best moments <laughs> in your life are the ones that you don't think to pull out a camera or a phone or whatever. Yeah. And that's just because it's because you're so in the moment and present. Yeah, it's crazy when you think about it, like how much technology has dominated our life and especially documenting when we're having fun and like trying to make people feel like, oh, I wish yeah. I was there. You yeah. know what I mean? And uh, it, I, everyone falls, falls to that. You know what I mean? Like you always want to pose like, look, we're having so much fun. This is so cool. And it's, it is really crazy when you think about it. You're kind of like showing it. You're like, I don't know, you want to like, almost fool people that you're having like the best time. Like, oh, I wish yeah. you were here. No, <laughs> like my life is so interesting. <laughs> totally. I, I am obviously the coolest person that you don't know. So check this out. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost made people more lazy with touring, I think, with, like, capturing it. Because like, I can just post an Instagram picture. Or I can just post a little Vine video. Or I don't know, yeah. something like that. Which is almost taken away from me. I, I know a few people who are doing really good things. Like, uh, my friend uh, runs, like, a filming... His name is Git Deluxe. His name's Tom. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom Welsh. And he does incredible tour... Like, he's the number one guy for tour updates. And, like, capturing people going on tour. He does very different style to myself. But um, he's doing really cool stuff. And it would be nice to see other people in the U.S., particularly the U.S., because I don't really see that many tour updates. So maybe friends of bands or kids who go out with uh, their friends' band and, like, just to see a really cool edit of, like, I don't know, what it was like. I I just haven't seen anyone do that yet. And it would be kind of cool if, like... I don't know. If there's someone out there, they should do it. Jump in the van, grab your camera, and just film it. It's a capturing a feeling, and that is such a difficult thing to put to tape because it's it's a, it's an intangible thing that's difficult to harness. So, you know, you release your first record on Run for Cover, and that kind of started to give you the ability to tour and everything like that. When did you start to notice that people, like you said, you know, bands started to tweet at you guys or you know communicate with you guys on social networks? started to tour the uk with them when did you notice that it was like this is very strange that people are really paying attention to what we're doing like when did that when did that sort of like if there's i mean it doesn't have to be a definitive moment but just that yeah yeah, yeah. i mean there were little moments where it happened when i was like oh cool like we just sold out our first press of our seven inch that's cool but then i kept thinking of that in like just a you thinking about just the uk you know what i mean i'm trying to think when it first hit me like okay there's two moments one when we started getting reviews from the first mm-hmm. record and I saw that kids were like reacting to it well. And I can't say it's one moment because every moment would top the next moment. And there'd be like another little moment. And I'd be like, oh, that's weird. I didn't know that kids cared about that. Or, oh, I didn't know that people liked that. Or, and But I can tell you, honestly, it never really felt like I was in a band. I know it sounds really weird and people might think that I'm making mm-hmm. it up. But the whole time I was just like, we're just five friends who just like somehow started writing music. And it was it was always a weird feeling, but the first time I ever felt like, oh, I'm actually in a band was when I went to Australia and we did our first ever headline mm-hmm. tour and I was expecting no one to be there and it was the best shows I've ever played and kids were like, and this sounds corny, but like kids wanted like photos and like autographs and stuff and like we'd never dealt with that kind of stuff. And at first, Andrew, I remember particularly, was like, I don't want to do this. Like, this is not why I'm in a band right. and like, why do they want a photo? I'm just a normal person. And I was like, dude, they're obviously like young, younger kids and like to them that mm-hmm. means a lot. You know what I mean? And like, 
it's not hurting anyone. It's it's a weird thing to bet on. I don't really have to explain it unless you're in a band. Yeah. And you kind of you have to deal with that kind of stuff because it is kind of weird. But it's coming from a place of good nature. Like the kid wants that photo, and I you can cut this bit out. No, it's no, stupid, no, but no, that, no. You know what I mean? Like it's a weird thing to deal with. Like why would you want a picture with me? I'm just a normal kid. But in Australia, it was just like holy cow, we're actually in a band that people care about. We've flown around the other side of the world. There are hundreds of kids here to see us play. We just sold all our merch. Yeah. And now kids are like psyched to say what's up. This is weird. Like, yeah. This is okay. People care. It's very weird. <laughs> I, I completely understand because I, I definitely had that same experience because I've, I've been lucky enough to tour Japan a few times with bands I used to play in. And I mean, I think that comes from the whole like the idea of like photographs and, you know, autographs and like that comes from a place of sort of like punk rock guilt where you're just like, I am not the person you think I am. And also it's like accepting that you're like saying to that person, yeah, I'll take that photo or accepting like, yeah, I'm in a band. It's almost like you're being arrogant. Do you feel like you're being yeah. arrogant? Like, you know, yes, they deserve to have a picture <laughs> of me. It's like, a, obviously you don't think that, but that goes through your head. Like, why am I letting someone take yeah. a picture? But, but, it, but I, you know, it's not, it's not that deep when it gets down to it. But when you first experience it, it is kind of, it's just a bit different and it feels a bit awkward. You don't know what to do. Like, <laughs> because it comes from a place and I'm speaking more so internationally, like in the States, it's definitely a different, you know, like going to warp tour and having kids want autographs is a different vibe than, you know, going to Japan or going to Australia and having yeah like yeah it just comes from a genuine feeling of wanting to add to the experience that they're having as opposed to like oh i need a signature of you know this singer of this band because he's fucking hot or whatever <laughs> yeah but that's the thing you kind of think about that at the same time like you thinking about like i don't know some horrible band at warp through like taking advantage of like 15 year old like fans you know what i mean like that they're like they know that kids want their photos <laughs> they'll be like hey meet us out at the merch booth in 10 minutes i'm not wearing a t-shirt like, let's take some pictures like that kind of that feeling kind of crosses your mind like am i am i like kind of as bad as this guy but you know it's not it's just it's just at first it was kind of yeah. Not hard to accept. It's just like kind of weird. It was definitely foreign to us. Once it just started happening and you're like, okay, this is fine. I think it's an experience that's uh, it's valid for people to hear because it is uh, unnerving initially because you don't know what to do with it. But then, you know, once you realize where it's coming from, you're like, okay, this is good. Like, I'm okay with this. Yeah. And I guess just as last thing, I don't want to uh-huh. say too much. I never wanted to do that when I was a kid, I don't think. Maybe it's because I didn't go to that many shows, but actually that's probably a lie. I don't know. Maybe I did. <laughs> I just don't remember myself ever having yeah. any photos of anyone in a band. Yeah. Maybe I was too shy. I don't know. But um, no, the, honestly, the last, okay, the last thing I'll say is when kids would like, make us stuff. We all went to Australia. We had pictures with koalas. This girl drew us all those cartoons and brought Whoa. it to the show. And that was like, as if you took that much time, like, thank, like, she was obviously really nervous to like, give it to us. I was like, that is the coolest thing ever. And, like, we gave her like, a t-shirt and I like, said what's up and said thanks. And I was like, that's cool. Like someone went out of their yeah. way to do that kind of stuff. I was just like, ah. Oh. That's I didn't really right. know how to accept it. I was like, "Wow, thank you." It's really nice to know that people like are that psyched, right? Because they're they're, they're investing their time into you and that feels especially for a person you it's a one-sided relationship you've got no relationship with them but they have an intimate relationship with you and like what do you do with that but uh but that's definitely like mind-blowing yeah yeah i know for sure but i I like that i I like the way that you view or that you put it the first time i ever felt like i was being i was in a band because that's definitely you know i think that thought is lost especially when it's like you know a band starts with you know different motives than beyond just playing music where it's just like oh i see that i am able to make a living off of this lifestyle or this you know this particular scene if they're coming at it from a business perspective you know that's when it can kind of fall apart pretty quickly or be a very inauthentic experience exactly 
Uh, two random last things that I want you know that I wanted to hit on before uh, I left you. You know when you when you obviously decided to break apart uh, a basement, it was very, um, for lack of a better term, like it was very mature. It was in a sense of you're just like all the members in the band want to focus on different areas of their life, and that's kind of it. Like it was a very uh, I don't want to use the word cold because it wasn't cold, but it was just very it was practical, it was pragmatic. Yeah. And I, yeah. I you know I don't I can't recall a band doing that, especially because you guys were in your early twenties, um, kind of making that decision to be like, oh yeah, like we we've we've done that and it was great and we loved it, but now let's focus on other areas. Yeah, I think the main thing, and it definitely, I can remember, I can remember the exact conversation I had with Andrew. We were in the middle of our first US tour, and we just played a show that went well. And I said to him, like, "What's the deal? What's the deal when we get home? Like, are we going full time? Like, I know that had been mentioned, and at the same time, I knew that he was super worried about his career, his life. We both graduated college, and he'd been." he'd had like two years off, like finished. And I'd only just, this was my first year. So he's, you know, he's been a while not having a real career, doing like whatever jobs. And he was like, dude, I can't, like, I I don't think I can do this, man. I need to have stability in my life. And I was like, I totally understand. And the same thing happened to me. It happened to me after we decided that even so early in the band's career, like we still went on to do a lot more things that next year, but the whole time knowing, right, it's going to come to an end. And when it does, we all have a plan. And, I just don't want to be that guy in a band when I'm like 30 years old. Like, yeah, man, I was in a band and like, <laughs> you, you didn't really do anything. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you toured, like, but you don't really have anything to show for it. And I think we'd all rather be in a comfortable position and then maybe consider doing the band than rather just keep plugging on the band. And then eventually we're just, I don't know, not cool or no one cares and we have nothing to show for it. You know, there is a real life out there and people get sucked into the band world which almost isn't real like it isn't is that really going to pay the bills for your family are you really going to be able to afford like a mortgage on a home and like people are thinking oh you're such an old man like yo these are real things you have to think about when you grow up they're something that we took very seriously yeah so what it was definitely like hey you know what andrew went off he's a teacher now andrew has his degree i'm so proud of him and it's so cool to know that he's like a teacher like it's so cool and if ever we decide like hey you know what? we have time to do this then we can because we're all in a great position and i for me personally i have the best job in the world i have something that i get to be creative every day i work with people who are my best friends and if i hadn't made that decision to take um a break on the band i i don't know i don't know where we'd be and i don't know if we'd be like truly happy but i know right now that everyone's in a really great position and it's definitely yeah yeah just be, had, to, had to be honest you know like that's how we felt right i, I mean and that's like i said that's a very it's a very mature decision for people of uh, this isn't meant to be derogatory or, or be ageist where it's like usually people in their younger 20s don't have that thought where they're just like whatever like I, I'm I'm invincible. I'm going to do this band thing forever and that'll be fine. And then, yeah, yeah, then, you know, they're 30 years old and they're like, um, so I literally don't have any marketable skills at all. Like I just, yeah, I don't seriously. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And people will call us stupid. They'd be like, what are you doing? Especially as soon as we announced it, that was very crazy because it, it actually elevated the band and it actually got bigger as we said, we were quitting. So people were like, you're stupid. You shouldn't do this. Like just, you know, people won't care. Just change your mind. And we're like, no, we can't. Like, crabs in university, that's like so, that's a real serious thing. Like, we don't want him to put it on hold. I want him to graduate. He's so talented. I want him to do really well. And if we keep going on with the band, he's either going to have to drop out of university or just get bad grades. And I'm not, I don't think that's a good idea. Like, I think I'd rather him finish and then we maybe look at it. Like we said, we're on hiatus. 
we're yeah we just need we need this time we need this time to do real life things so, right and I, I younger kids find that hard to accept but occasionally i see a kid who'll maybe post something and they'll be like it's awesome that you know you made this music and you've taken the time to do your life like good luck with whatever and i want to see that i'm like that is so cool like thank you thank you for being so cool about it and honestly like 95 percent of kids have been understanding and i was like wow yeah thanks guys like that's really cool like thank you for like supporting us in our decisions so right right yeah that, that, and that's ultimately what you know is the most gratifying because people get it and it's like okay that's good and so and one last thing that this this kind of goes to the sort of uh, young kids playing old guy music i really admire your uh, own personal choice you're a, a slender gentleman from my and you're you're wearing extra large shirts and that's impressive because or or are they or they may be large shirts on you um but that's impressive because that was definitely you know i mean i did that from you know 15 to 19 and that was primarily just because band i mean obviously the shirts that you're wearing as well are from that time frame of where bands didn't make mediums yeah they didn't make small mediums it's crazy it's always funny like I actually had one shirt that uh, our guitarist Ronan really wanted. It was like an old Smashing Pumpkin shirt. And he was like, dude, if you ever see like a medium or a small hit me up, I was like, dude, they don't make, they never made them that. That was the style. It was like large or XL, like get them while they're hot. You know what I mean? It's crazy. But yeah, like I love trying to find like older tour shirts and old things. And yeah, people, yeah, I, I love thrifting. So occasionally I found a crazy old Pearl Jam shirt. Like it was actually an old bootleg one. It says like, uh, Eddie Vedder is God and it has all the album titles on the back it's so crazy but I love finding all stuff like that I think it's just really cool and yeah. I love the graphics and I don't know yeah yeah no. that's just something I like I love collecting little things that's just one thing I like to collect that's just great because the style is like to not wear shirts of that nature and it's like you know there are definitely you know it's like Ned from Title Fight and it's like I, anytime I see people wearing shirts that clearly don't fit them but that doesn't matter it's perfect yeah well I think I Look weird with it with this i should probably be wearing a size small or medium i look weird i'm like a tall guy but my feel my legs are taller than my torso i just look like a freak so <laughs> people out there don't judge me i <laughs> i'm trying to hide my weirdly shaped body or or you could even go as far as just not even wearing shorts and just wearing your extra large shirts kind of like a yeah. dress <laughs> I know you'll probably get in trouble for that. But, uh. <laughs> yes, I, I, I think you might be. I think that might be a decent exposure. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited that obviously you're doing what you want with your life because that's, that's a difficult position to arrive to, especially when you know you make huge moves like moving to the United States and doing all these things. It's, uh, it's cool to see that happen and actually like Thanks, put, it, put it to motion because a lot of people talk about, oh, I'm going to do these things and then they accomplish like 30% of it. Yeah, I had to take a crazy just leap of faith on that one. But yeah, I've been so blessed yeah. it's all worked out and you're enjo- and you're obviously enjoying your experience here in the states oh i love it i love it i have friends all over this country and the quality of life is definitely better i could speak for ages yeah it's it's great i really enjoyed it yeah. and it's all thanks to my friends and family and yeah. this goes on yeah yeah for sure do were they uh was your family terrified when you were like i'm gonna move to the states no, my mom was that was her idea. She was like, "You need to get out of the house. You need to move." I was like, "Okay," and she was so psyched. I was like, "My mom's American. That's how I could live here, by the way." So my mom was super excited. She was like, "Yeah, you're going back to the homeland." So she's she's psyched for me, and uh, yeah, it was all through her, just like being like encouraging me and telling me that I can do it. That's so. that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I uh, I appreciate the time. There you go. That was Alex. Just just a nice chap, as they say over in the UK. I guess I don't know. I'm I'm not that up on the slang you know i wouldn't call him a wanker i know but uh anyways visit propertyofzack.com hundredwordspodcast.com 
As I mentioned before, our editor is Tom Richfield. Man, I've got some amazing shows coming up for you fine folk. I mean, I have like content and shows for the next like two months, and I'm still getting awesome stuff. This is so exciting, and I cannot wait to share it to you. Share it to you, with you, at you, whatever. Until next week, be safe, everybody. You can cry.